life is a feast. But it doesn't have to stop when we find we're the only one at the table. This podcast is for those who feel like they are going it alone in any area of life, whether by choice or chance, for days or years. Throughout this series, we're going to talk about how we got to the table, hearkening back to middle school math class and taking tips from a whale. We're going to talk about making the most of the feast, no matter what's on your own life menu, and about the superpowers that you can build and take with you when, eventually, you're sharing the meal with others. I'm Whitney, and we'll be leading you through a bi-weekly three-course feast of perspective, empathy, and solutions to give you the confidence and virtual companionship as you navigate being a party of one in this crowded world. This is Table for One. Episode 4 The Tiniest Kite in the World. How's it going at your table for one? There's a bunch of acronyms that I cringe when hearing, but one I take personally and associate myself with is FOMO, the fear of missing out. As the weather starts to warm up for spring, everyone is coming out of hibernation and getting back into exploration mode. Today, I want to turn FOMO into a positive and focus on single women or men especially. Instead of letting the fear of missing out on a relationship or the experiences that seem to naturally present themselves when in a partnership hang over us like a cloud, let's rather inject ourselves with FOMO like an energy drink to drive us towards creating exhilarating experiences on our own. Easter is coming up, and one of my favorite memories was getting a colorful plastic kite in my Easter basket a time or two when I was a kid. This was back in the 80s, probably the last generation of real childhood, before technological distractions instead of play weren't quite an option. I don't remember the details of successes or failures flying those kites, just the color of the the sunlight in the field behind our house and the cheerfulness of trying to learn how to fly it with my dad. For some reason, kites continued to pop up as some of the more distinct memories in my life as I grew older. A few years after it was published in 2003, I finally read The Kite Runner, and like everyone, was impacted by this profound and also eye-opening story by Khaled Hosseini. A few years later, when studying in London, I was thrilled to happen upon one of his book signings and got to meet him. This book was my first exposure, really, to the Middle East culture, and aside from the very troubling aspects of Afghanistan society that were detailed in complete honesty, I loved reading about the practice of kite flying as a common way for young boys to bond and compete with each other. In Afghanistan and several other places around the world, kite flying plays a big weekly part of young boys' childhoods in places where competitive sports like soccer and basketball aren't available, much less the green landscapes to support ground-based activity. In Kabul, kites are a big deal, but are simple designs, generally made of bamboo and colored tissue paper. The object of the kite flying game is to cut the kites of your rivals midair, coating your own kite string with a sharp resin of glue and crushed glass to do so. With one person flying the winning kite, the kite runner is the teammate charged with capturing the cut kite of the rival as it floats down to secure victory. Another distinct kite memory for me. Living in the Pacific Northwest a few years later, a boyfriend and I visited the International Kite Festival one hot August weekend on Long Beach, Washington, 
This is the longest contiguous beach in the U.S. This annual festival attracts thousands of people from all over the world, from the serious kite competitors to those who just want to observe the awesome display of thousands of kites in the full spectrum of colors and shapes flying against the backdrop of the ocean. During my visit, I bought a shark-shaped kite from a vendor to join in the fun and made it my pet for the day, calling it Toledo. <laughs> there were gigantic kites flying hundreds of feet in the air with complicated string configurations and being maneuvered by many people. There were performances of synchronized kite aerials accompanied by music. And of course, there were kite competitions. Later in the day, my eyes lit up when seeing on the event schedule an event for the tiniest kite competition. After some effort, I found the three competitors, each with a kite to compete. These kites were no more than a half inch big, and each had to comply with regulations specifying the maximum length of their tail, how long they had to be technically flying in the wind, and at what minimum height. It was somewhat hilarious, I've got to admit, but I felt proud for each of these tiny kites going for it, not really flying higher than maybe a few feet. But for them, it was a big journey. I've since read about various people attempting to win the Guinness record for the world's smallest kite, including kites that are one square millimeter in size. And because I love metaphors, all this thinking about kites led me to wonder on behalf of single people, women in particular, are there any heights that you've stopped yourself from letting your kite string out to experience because you were saving it to share with someone else and didn't want to fly up there all by yourself? Or were you afraid of the vulnerability of the unknown and getting your string cut like the cobble kite flyers? Let's nibble on this food for thought for a minute. Traveling is one of the most important and sacred parts of my life and is the easiest way of talking about a life without limits and inhibitions. Did you know that almost 30% of adults in the U.S., 75 million people, have never been out of the country? This 2021 data comes from the Pew Research Center. Additional data from them says that of the adults who have traveled, 30% have been to just one to two countries. And I'm going to take a big guess that these are generally our nearest neighbors to the immediate north or south. Of the people who have never been outside of the country, women take up 10% more of that group than men. Why? Of course, it's a personal preference, whatever you do. And of course, I get that traveling is a financial luxury that isn't an option for many. But to me, those who don't travel frustrate me in a similar way as those who have the privilege of voting and don't. The United States passport, as of last year, shares the sixth spot among the most powerful passports in the world. This is based on a scoring system, including how many countries our passport allows us to visit without a visa, which is 185 out of 195 countries. Think about this in comparison to remembering the boys flying kites in Kabul, Afghanistan, which has the weakest passport in the world, only allowing visa-free entry to 26 countries. The low power of their own passports, along with economic conditions and other factors, mean that most residents are likely generally sentenced to a life without opportunity for exploration and the life-changing experiences available beyond their own borders. To me, our having the privilege to travel gives us the responsibility to do it, to learn about other ways of living and thinking, to expand our acceptance of differences and, and bring that back into American society where it is so much needed. Okay, off my soapbox for a minute. When I was a teenager, I remember telling myself I was going to save Paris for when I had a romantic partner to enjoy the city with, as if depriving myself was my gift to this unrealized significant other. 
I completely cringe to admit ever even having a thought like that. And we'll talk about how I mended my ways in a second. But I want to first talk about three women in history who didn't give a crap whether they had a boyfriend or partner and let their kite string out to experience exactly what all single women should. Whatever the hell they want and wherever they want. These are ladies that, like most awesome women, sometimes take a bit of Google searching to unearth. Clara Adams was known as the first flighter, the fastest person to ride around the world as a commercial airline passenger. In June 1939, two years after her friend Amelia Earhart had disappeared, she circumnavigated the globe in just under 17 days. Clara never had interest in becoming a pilot, but was a flight enthusiast and became a celebrity in her own right. She held a ticket for nearly every significant inaugural flight in the early days of travel and traveled around 200,000 miles during the 20s and 30s. She was flying at a time when planes weren't yet intended for passengers, and she helped advertise that wanderlust of exploration, but also that planes were the future of travel and a safe way to get around. She fell in love with her experiences in the sky, writing about them often and collecting memorabilia during her travels. While on the maiden flight of the Hindenburg from Frankfurt, she vividly described the poetry of the experience. The millions of twinkling lights of Mannheim and Cologne from a thousand foot altitude. The last sight of the tip of England at Land's End with green fields, red cliffs, and white houses shining in the early morning sun. Seeing the sharp black outline of the Hindenburg on the clouds surrounded by three concentric circles of rainbows. After another round-the-world flight that she did later, she said, When we were young, we all read about the famous magic flying carpet. I have just flown on a good many carpets. I wish all could have the opportunity to enjoy that same experience. Love her. A few years before Clara's time, an epic set of badass twins were paving their own trails across the U.S. Gussie and Addie Van Buren, related to U.S. President Martin Van Buren, set off from Brooklyn on the 4th of July, 1916, to ride coast to coast to San Francisco on their own motorcycles. Along the way, they became the first women to summit Pikes Peak on any kind of motorized vehicle, got arrested several times for dressing as men, and fell off their bikes multiple times too. Remember, this is all before the interstate highway system was built decades later. Aside from the goal of seeing the entire country, they also made the journey to prove a point, that women were capable of being military dispatch riders as the world transitioned into World War I. Their nephew later said this would remove one of the primary arguments for denying women the right to vote. While their slatter goal didn't result in success, they made history anyway. And lastly, many years before these ladies, Zhang Yi Zhao, or Madame Chang, the living a life of crime on the waters of China, was essentially a great businesswoman who was blazing trails on the water. She fearlessly took the reins from her dead husband as a pirate commander in 1807, leading over 300 ships and potentially 70,000 pirates through Chinese waters. This charge rivaled the scale and the power of the British or Portuguese empires. Her red flag fleet was undefeated. And though this might have been a good thing for fending off potential colonialists, she also left a regional wake of destruction and eventually set her own terms of a pardon that led to her living her life out in peace. Although her ethics might have been questionable, she was a big pioneer in her time. And of course, there are hundreds of single women in history making history because they brazenly let their kite fly. 
I think a lot about what it means to make my own history through exploration or experiences when I don't have a descendant to pass it on to. But the moral of that story is that it's okay to be selfish and try new things or places just for your own curiosity, your own self-interest, your own enrichment. And in some ways, flying out in the sky on your own is more rewarding. The best moments in my life are those when I was experiencing the world, at least figuratively, by myself. I wasn't crossing off someone else's to-do list or getting into arguments about who got us lost or wasting time on manufacturing those perfectly posed pictures with someone instead of being in the space of discovery. I was forced to be in the moment and really absorb the intoxicating flavors and sounds and sometimes harsh realities of the world beyond our borders. Although I traveled a fair amount with small groups or boyfriends and had an accidental solo trip to North Ireland for a weekend after one badly timed breakup in Croatia a few days prior, the first time I took a completely intentional solo trip was a few months after my second marriage broke down. I was living in London at the time, having no idea where the next chapter of my life was going to take me. My closest friends in the city had moved to their home countries in the past year, and I hadn't yet found their replacements. I decided that for Christmas, if I was going to be alone, at least in my relationship status, and in going through the transition of divorce without close friends, that I was going to be alone all the way. So I booked a week for myself in St. Petersburg. And this ended up being the most magical trip for me. No one knew where I was. I had full license to satisfy my whims, to take as long as I wanted admiring those incredible onion domes of the Church of the Savior on the spill of blood, going to the Fabergé Museum, going for afternoon tea at a beautiful hotel on the river, getting blisters while walking through the miles of gorgeousness at the Hermitage, getting lost figuring out the bus system, shopping on Nevsky Prospect, shouting down a guy in the street who was following me, watching a performance of The Nutcracker at the Mikulovsky Theater on Christmas Eve, talking with my taxi driver about her experiences of working for a woman-only business, going to a spa at 6 a.m. in the dark on Christmas morning and, while naked and wearing a conical straw hat, getting beaten by a woman with birch branches in the steam room. I was naked and alive. Travel has continued to let my kite string fly high and see things never possible if I had stayed grounded. It has given me confidence to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, with not exactly knowing my way around, but knowing I'm strong enough to figure things out. I think of the key moments I'm going to look back on when I'm in my 80s or 90s, and though maybe bittersweet because I didn't have someone special to share them with, I'm only going to be grinning from ear to ear. Here's a few more of my favorite memories while being on my own. Riding a hot air balloon with a few strangers above the Valley of the Kings. I was alive. Riding a rickshaw to watch a water puppet show in Ho Chi Minh. I was alive. Standing on top of the Empire State Building, both alone and inconspicuous on the most conspicuous building in the U.S. I was alive. In Cape Town, South Africa, for a two-week solo trip a few months ago, I rode the cable car to the top of Table Mountain. Treated myself to a Michelin-level restaurant for a two-hour meal just because visited the penguins on the way to the Cape of Good Hope and found tears coming to my eyes several times during the trip and pretty much during any 10 plus hour flight on my way home from somewhere else because I'm so grateful to be alive, even by myself, and to experience the variety and surprises of this seriously incredible world. These are just some of my own experiences of being a kite high up in the sky, but getting out there and taking FOMO by the horns is easier said than done. I get it. 
from the traveling perspective, what are those of us alone who haven't really ventured out much most afraid of? What's the worst that can happen by going for it? Getting lost? Especially with the GPS we have in our pockets all the time, getting lost in Korea really isn't any different than getting lost looking for parking in a town next door to ours. What about getting sick? For me, getting food poisoning in Peru wasn't really any worse than getting food poisoning at home. Not knowing the language? It's not really any different than us being on the other side of the conversation and explaining to a foreign visitor in our own cities how to find a bathroom or a train station. There is more to communication than just words. Are we afraid of getting hurt or taken advantage of? I've been scammed out of $100 by a taxi driver in Istanbul, but it wasn't really any worse than false credit charges at home that didn't scar me for life. The potential negative parts of traveling doesn't have to stop us from building those stories. They just make more stories and we learn from them. That being said, it's not necessarily more important or life-altering in a positive way to let your kite fly out 5,000 miles compared to five feet like the tiniest kite in the world sometimes. It's the explorations and the experiences closer to home too that the singleness sometimes keeps us from taking a grasp on. And this stuff collectively builds to a sense of hunger and emptiness when we're at our tables for one. What are some of the thoughts holding you back from experiencing the things that are most typically enjoyed by couples or a group of friends? I've referred to a few examples in previous episodes. Going to the movies alone. This whole podcast was created based on the experience of dining alone. But what about going on a picnic alone or to a concert, to a lecture, to church, taking a class, going to the zoo, or to the fireworks on New Year's Eve? It doesn't seem like it should be such a big deal, but mentally we can kind of get in our heads and this is tough stuff. I can't lie that there have been dozens of times where I could not get myself out of bed to gather the extra energy that it takes to face the world alone, even if it's only a block away sometimes. And it's such a mind over matter thing. But when you're single and living alone, you're already an expert on independent living. Going to the grocery store or setting up a bank account, going to the laundromat or walking the dog or tortoise in my case hunting for apartments or houses, and buying cars. What are we actually afraid of in being alone in social situations that are more typical to partners or groups? Are we afraid of being uncomfortable? Well, there was a first time for every single experience we've ever had in our lives to date. Why not embrace the uncomfortable and see what's on the other side? We already know that sense of accomplishment when we do get to the other side and conquering it, and building that confidence in different situations. The strange can become familiar and can become our favorite. Are we afraid of being embarrassed or judged? I remember a quote from some book when I was a teenager that said, you'd care less about what people think of you if you realize how seldom they actually are. The week before COVID hit the US, one of my favorite Latin American bands had a stadium show. I loved them for 10 years and had never yet seen them live. I was minutes from standing myself up because I didn't have the energy to be alone and get dressed up and go out for the evening, but finally forced myself out. I appeared to be the only one of about 20,000 other people there by myself, but once I got over the hurdle of getting there, I danced, uh, of course loved the music, and it was rewarding enough just being in the company of people who liked the same music and experience as me. The energy was electric and I almost missed out.
Last year, I forced myself from taking a much-needed week and afternoon nap and hiding in my apartment after a horrible work week to join a protest downtown for the atrocities against Palestine. This issue is something I have a lot of passion about, but we don't need a partner with us to partner with a body of people who believe in something or enjoy something the same way that we do. Just like with the concert and all the hundreds of other little experiences I had conquered on my own throughout the years, I came home feeling like my life was richer and I was so glad I didn't let myself down. Experience things by yourself. Do them for yourself. Don't wait for anyone. Don't miss out for anyone. For dessert today, I want to talk about making a bucket list. This isn't like creating a New Year's list that you're going to throw away in the second week of January. This is about identifying those goals that you're most excited and committed to. For me, I've got to see my thoughts on paper, or these days at least on screen, to internalize and formalize them. I also sometimes feel like as a single person, it's so much easier to break a commitment or goal to myself than when I'm in a partnership with someone. I gotta write it down, remind myself that I owe it to me to build the kind of life that I want at my table for one. Also, I'm a planner by profession and get an almost euphoric response to checking things off of the list. The fun part about creating a bucket list is that there's no wrong way of doing it, but it does take some thoughtfulness and is a list you should really keep close to you and regularly check in on. What do you genuinely want to experience in this life, and how can you start today to let your kite string out and make those experiences happen? One way to start your list is to check off some of the things that you've already experienced and build from there. Celebrate listing the road trips that you've taken, or that time you took a challenge to go skinny dipping, whatever it was. One of the downfalls of a bucket list is that people always think it has to include the big stuff, those things that which for most people stay on the list because they're nearly impossible to achieve. The items like hiking Everest or going on a backpacking trip around the world. Of course, anyone has the power to do these things, but if you've never gone hiking beyond a nature walk on a local trail, you can't go from zero to 100 and expect to succeed. The items on your bucket list should be aspirational, but also actionable. The list can and should include some of the sub-goals in the shorter term to get you to the longer range goals that might require more financial investment, time and practice, long-term planning. Here's an example for a foodie. Instead of listing a goal of going on a street food tour of Asia to try all the snacks featured in Anthony Bourdain's No Reservation series, maybe start by listing these smaller goals that start with those that can be first accomplished on a weekend. For example, learn how to make a copycat recipe of your favorite dish from your favorite restaurant. Or, if you've got a collection of cookbooks gathering dust on the shelf, crack one open and pick one recipe that you can't pronounce the name of and make it. I live in Massachusetts, and expanding the challenge factor of the goal to the next level might spend a series of weekends comparing lobster rolls at every town along the coast of Maine. Expanding the goal even further over a period of months, I might make a travel plan to try the state dish in each of the 13 original U.S. colonies. Do you know what your state dish is? Another thing to remember is that your list doesn't have to be linear. It can have branches and compartments to help you visualize your goals in the different areas of your life and how they might relate to each other or be paired and tackled together. Think of bucket list items not just for fun and recreation, but also for your career, your personal growth, spirituality. Maybe one of your items is to improve public speaking and speak to a group larger than 50 people without using notes. 
Maybe it's a spiritual goal of meditating at least five minutes every day for a year. Maybe it's a learning goal of mastering a language for reading the entire works of a historic writer. I'll share some examples of some different format options for your bucket list this week. Once you've written everything down, you haven't yet done the most important thing, which is to share your list with others and celebrate the successes. Publish your bucket list online, like on a blog, for others to check out. Or simply email it to family and friends so everyone is aware of it and able to support you in it. Although single folks like me should create this list with the assumption that you are tackling each item solo, if you share the list, you may find new friends and people who want to check out the same things as you or help you achieve your goals. And be proud of the items that you complete, even if they're small. For travelers, there are some beautiful wall maps that you can buy that let you scratch off the top layer to reveal a colorful country as you visit it. Have a film screening with friends to share some of the videos that you took while checking off a travel goal. Putting yourself out there to experience the world is a big deal worthy of celebration. And the beauty of the bucket list is that you can change it at any time as you continue to grow and experience new things that may shift your interests and priorities over the years. But you've got to start now and let your kite string out at least a few feet. Like the old Chinese proverb says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Thanks for joining me. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe or join the Instagram page at tableforone.pod where you'll find resources shared from each episode along with other fun content. And feel free to send me a message. Introduce yourself. Share a favorite recipe. Let me know a topic about loneliness that you'd like me to cover. Whatever. And remember, no matter who is or isn't at your table, there's a live feast available for you. See you in two weeks.